Welcome back to Bruin Success, the UCLA podcast of career stories and helpful strategies from alumni who work in diverse industries around the globe. Every Bruin has unique passions, interests, and experiences that have shaped their life path and career trajectory. This week's interview features UCLA alumni, Hannah Gordon, Chief Administrative Officer and General Counsel for the 49ers. She oversees legal, public affairs and strategic communications, risk management, community relations, fan engagement, 49ers Museum, and the 49ers Foundation. Under her guidance, the 49ers have been named the ESPN Sports Humanitarian Team of the Year, Pop Warner Little Scholars Team of the Year, and winner of the Silicon Valley Business Journal Community Impact Award. Hannah was named one of football's most influential women by NFL.com and has appeared in Oprah Daily and been recognized as a sports business journal 40 under 40 game changer, among many other accolades. Let's talk with Hannah about her book and impressive career in the sports industry. Welcome back, Bruins. We're here with another episode of the Bruins Success Podcast. And today I'm talking to Hannah Gordon from the 49ers. Hannah, welcome. Hello. Glad to be here. Thank you for joining us today. Um, we'd love to learn more about your trajectory from UCLA to law school and then 11 years with the San Francisco 49ers. Wow. Thank you. Well, you know, getting here all started at UCLA, actually. So when I was a freshman at UCLA in my little dorm room in Sunset Village, I was <laughs> trying to figure out what to major in and what I wanted to do with my life. And I was watching Hannah Storm host the NBA Finals halftime shows. And I was so inspired by how sort of witty and funny she was. And I thought, wow, is there a job where you just get to have like repartee with other intelligent people about sports? Like this is a, seems like a really cool thing to do. How do I do that? Um, And that led me to researching the Daily Bruin, the student newspaper at UCLA. Um, And at UCLA, there was at least at that time, no journalism major. Um, And so if you wanted to go into journalism, the way that you did that was by working at the Daily Bruin. And so I applied to work at the paper. That was the end of my freshman year. Um, And I got the women's tennis beat for my sophomore year. And uh, from there, I got the football beat my junior and senior year. And that really put me on the path to where I am today. The people that I met um, through that, the experiences that I got led me to internships at Fox Sports West, at the Oakland Raiders, um, after graduation at the NFL Players Association, because I'd written a story about them while I was working for the Daily Bruin. And I asked at the end of the interview, oh, do you take interns? Um, <laughs> and so it was sort of that type of like hustle and, and utilizing all the resources at UCLA that really got me to where I am today. Wow. Impressive. Well done. (laughs) Good advice for folks to hear. You know, if you're ever in the right spot, ask about whether or not they have interns. I I love hearing that story. Thank you. Well, we'd love if you could sort of walk us through your experience considering law school then, because it sounded like you had started off on a great path. How did you end up pursuing your JD? I did not want to be a lawyer when I was younger, and it really was not until after I had graduated and worked at a couple of jobs. So I worked, as I mentioned, right after graduation at the NFL Players Association, which is the union that represents players. From there, I actually went to that other bear, to Cal, to the Golden Bears, um, and worked in their athletic department doing media relations for football, track, and swimming. And I did that for a year, and it was while I was there 
and I was making $34,500 a year that I decided <laughs> that I should probably go to law school. <laughs> um, and, and I, I knew I wanted to stay in football, but I also felt like I wanted to eventually someday become a business executive. And I knew that the law would be a really great uh, platform for doing that, a really great skill set to develop. Um, and so I took a prep course for the LSAT um, that was on Berkeley's campus after work at night. Um, I didn't take, tell anyone I was taking it because I was so afraid that I wouldn't do well on the test and I wouldn't end up applying to law school. Um, but oh thankfully I did well. Um, <laughs> and then I did apply to law school, which I also told hardly anyone. Um, and then I was accepted to Stanford um, and decided to go there. Uh, and so for me, it was really about sort of the opportunities that law school and having a JD provide for you. I do tell young people though, because of the enormous cost of a JD, you really should be pretty sure that you want to practice law um, if you're going to go do that. And you should really enjoy, like you should feel like this is something you really wanna do. It's not something to do just cause you don't know what to do after college. And I was really glad that I'd had two years of work experience before I went to law school. I felt like I could appreciate the educational experience more. And I was better prepared because I actually had some real world experience to bring to the table. So in those two years, what did you think? Um, I mean, you obviously mentioned the pay, but were there other moments or experiences that made you think, okay, um, you know, a law degree is going to be a way to open up multiple doors or options in the future? Did you see folks that maybe had that degree? Yes, I did. Um, well, two things. Yeah. In addition, in addition to the fact that um, there was the, the money aspect of it, I'm a nerd. Like I love school. So <laughs> to me, the, the thought of going back to school was very appealing um, just for the sort of intellectual stimulation itself. And even though the job I had, I enjoyed, I could tell that it was that particular job was a job that I was going to get tired of in a few years and that was going to become too routine for me. And I wanted to be challenged. Um, and in terms of people who I saw, absolutely. One of the things that influenced me was that when I was an intern for the Oakland Raiders, Amy Trask, who was then the chief executive of the team, took all of the interns, um, PR interns, law interns, everyone out to ice cream um, because she's that kind of person um, to get to know all the interns. Wow. And somebody, yeah, somebody asked her, I don't know what the question was, but I remember the answer was that when you are in some way different from the power structure, if you are not a heterosexual white male, um, it can be very helpful to have essentially what our society has deemed like institutional credibility. Um, if you have a piece of paper that says, I have a JD from Stanford, People give you a certain respect that, frankly, walking in as a 27-year-old woman, they just would not have given me otherwise. Uh, and so that also influenced me. Interesting. I mean, yes, absolutely. I, I can see how that would be the case. Um, to that end, what has it been like working in a predominantly male-dominated um, industry, sports in general, and, you know, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the, the staff looks like at the 49ers, but what's been your experience, um, probably working with so many men and, and maybe, um, you know, I don't know if the culture has, you've seen that change in the last couple of years. Can you speak to that a bit more? Sure. So I've worked in football in various organizations and capacities for about 20 years now, since I started covering football at UCLA in the 
2001 season, which is crazy to me, um, over 20 years, I guess. And I will say that I think that there is two steps forward and one step back. Um, And I think this is true probably in a lot of aspects of our society. There are places where I think we're having new conversations. I think that the conversations that we have around gender and gender expression are very different um, than they were 20 years ago. And I will credit again, UCLA, you know, having some really fantastic faculty. I remember taking, I was a sociology major and taking sociology of, you know, gender of of sexual deviance. And I had a wonderful TA who she was doing her master's or her, her PhD thesis on the experience of transgender people at work. And I, even growing up in a really woke place like Oakland, I had never met anyone transgender. I really wasn't even aware of what tra- what it meant to be trans when I got to UCLA. And now that's very, um, very much a part of our mainstream conversation. Um, and I think that, you know, UCLA is somewhere that pushes forward always in, in that way, which I think is really positive. I think sports, um, you know, we're getting, we're getting better in some ways. And yet at the same time, we're very stagnant in other ways. Um, there has not been a lot of progress on a number of fronts. And I think that that can be really frustrating. Um, and I wish I had sort of the answers for how you fix or address that. But I think we really continue to struggle with the same things that we overall as a society struggle with. And that was really one of the things that attracted me to working in sports to begin with was that sports is a microcosm of society, that it, it can push society forward in certain circumstances where it chooses to take that platform or where individuals choose to take that platform. And I take great pride in, in being a Bruin and coming from the school that's, you know, also the alma mater of Jackie Robinson and Kenny Washington and people who broke barriers in sports that then, you know, helped break down more barriers throughout society. Well said, and hopefully we'll see more change in the future. Did any of your experiences professionally inspire you to write your book, Season of Change? Yeah, I mean, I think all all of those experiences are really why I wrote the book. I was meeting so many young people in college, in grad school, um, young professionals who would ask, like, how do I get where you are? How do I achieve my dream? Or like, how can I do this? Um, And it it made me reflect on like, okay, what are the tools that I've gained over the last two decades working in a male dominated industry? um, And how can I pass those on to someone else to make their journey a little bit easier? And so that's really how I came to kind of putting the book together is really just the accumulation of my experience and and knowledge and recognizing the patterns and everything I've taken from sports itself um, to structure the eight weeks um, around those concepts. Was there was there a, like a particular pivotal moment or influential moment or person you you spoke to maybe a couple of folks that have influenced you that really contributed to like your confidence in, in this area and feeling like you know I do have something to share I've got this great story and these experiences and I want to help others or has that just sort of been a theme in your life overall? I think that's sort of a compound question. I think in terms of confidence, ironically, perhaps the people who build build your confidence the most occasionally are the people who try to tear you down. I I will say that, uh, I don't know that I would say I'm a naturally confident person. I think you can have confidence in different things. I've always had confidence in my own intelligence, um, in my competence to excel at what I'm doing at the work product that I've produced over my career. 
And I think that really sustains you then when people question you again, sometimes on the basis of gender, whether or not they would say that's why they're questioning you. Um, and I had an experience when I worked at the league office where there was someone who really was trying to exclude me, not trying to, who was excluding me uh, <laughs> from all meetings, um, really making my work life very difficult there. And that experience of recognizing that I actually didn't need this person to build my confidence, that I didn't need someone else to tell me that I'm good at what I do, that in fact, I don't need to be pleasing everyone else all the time. That was a pivotal experience because so often, especially as young people, when we're starting out in our career, there's a positive aspect of you want to do a great job and impress people, right. but you don't want your own internal validation to come from others. Um, and you, it's not healthy to sort of be a pleaser and always focused on other people's opinions. And so in that way, I think that really, ironically, my confidence was actually built by somebody who was attempting to tear me down. Interesting. I'm glad you're able to take something negative and turn it into such a positive. That's, that's impressive and, and speaks to your character. And I also think it, it speaks to the success and the awards and the recognition, uh, 40 under 40 list, women of influence, diversity champion. I mean, there's, there's no end. You've really been so busy and had a wonderfully positive impact, but what would you say keeps you motivated to pursue excellence in the field, to, to be this person that, um, you know, is thinking very mindfully um, of others and making sure, like you said, your confidence isn't coming from the outside, but is internal. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. I, I think that all of us who love sports tend to be competitive people. And so for me, there's no like outside event that would drive my competitive nature. That's just, you know, something that I'm born with that I think a lot of other people are born with as well. <laughs> that you're always, you want to be the best just because that is what you do. Cause that is what drives you because why would you want to be second? Like, yeah. And I, yeah, I think, I think that is what, what motivates me is just that internal drive that why are we here if not to be our best selves and if not to be excellent. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, okay. So, so pivoting a little bit then, um, the 49ers had an incredible season. Speaking of excellence, um, you know, they were great on the field, you know, for, for weeks and weeks and just about made it to the Super Bowl. You know, we were rooting for them. Um, how, how do you sort of manage the ups and downs of a season? Because I think with sports and what you're talking about with motivation and wanting to be number one, I think it can be easy to say, you know what, um, if you're not number one, if you don't make it all the way, it doesn't matter at all. But I think there is something to be said for being able to come back with renewed energy in the future. So, so how do you, how do you navigate those ups and downs? How do you navigate you know, your own team, um, you know, in, in your professional life and, and what's it like working as part of an organization where there is that much pressure to, to win and to be number one? That's an excellent question. And I think that it comes to that point of like what the purpose of competition is and the purpose is to be your best as opposed to the purpose is the end result. 
And I think people now, especially with a focus on data analytics and, and a wonderful friend of mine, uh, Kwesi Adolfo Mensa just became the general manager at the Minnesota Vikings. And he talked about this in his press conference was process over results. And that he actually first learned that from his mom as a kid playing sports. And I think that when you talk about like, yeah, how, how do you feel when you started three and five, you made it to the NFC championship, but yes, just like the other 30 team or 29 teams that didn't end up being the last two in the Super Bowl, you, you didn't get to quite where you wanted to be. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's all about appreciating the whole journey and every moment of it and giving it your all and knowing that you didn't leave anything on the table. Um, I remember that the first NFC championship that I went to, Vicki Newmeyer, who holds uh, the same position that I do, but at the New Orleans Saints, she said to me, because they had recently won a Super Bowl at that time, um, she had said to me, stop and smell the roses. You, you don't know when you'll be back here. And, you know, like every season is hard. Every win is hard. Like nothing is given uh, in the national football league. And so really enjoy this experience. And I have always kept that with me, no matter what type of season we have, I like to stop and smell the roses. I like to just know that this is as a teacher of mine once said, experience the experience. Uh, Mashama Carter Thompson of 510 media, um, talks about that in terms of not only marketing, but just living like experience, experience. That's what you're here to do. Um, and so I think when you deal with those ups and downs, that's kind of the way you deal with it. And the other thing is being around a great team. So if you have people that you love working with, then that really sustains you. And, and you find so often when you talk to, um, particularly guys who played football and they think back on their time, obviously people who won championships, you know, they enjoy they won championships, but pretty (laughs) much anyone, regardless of what the final results were, will talk about missing the collegiality. Um, and I think that there is a really special thing about working at teams, um, a special kind of friendship um, and, and brotherhood and sisterhood that, that can come from that. And it sounds like you've, you've made some connections broadly. I'm a, I'm a sports fan, but uh, I don't work in that industry, obviously. What is it like to maintain connections with, I don't want to say the enemy, but uh, opposing teams? You know, you mentioned Vicky from uh, the New Orleans Saints and how do you build those um, collegial relationships sort of across um, across team lines, I guess I'll say? I would say on the business side, people are very friendly. And really, even across the entire industry, it is such a sort of networked industry. And this is actually one of the big challenges when we're talking about sort of increasing diversity and equity. Um, but it is an industry that's very much based on people and relationships. Um, And I would argue that all business and really all life is about (laughs) people and relationships. Um, But it's certainly somewhere like, since this is, you know, a Bruin success podcast, I would really encourage people to focus on networking. Like, I think that that can get a bad rap and a bad name. Um, And really all it means is being connected to other human beings. Um, (laughs) There's nothing, it doesn't have to have some sort of like, climber I'm trying to get something from you mentality it's really about like building relationships hopefully there's so much joy in being able to help someone else and at some point they may be able to help you too um but it's really about kind of just being able to call on somebody and and the joy of them being able to call on you um and if in terms of like that if you're asking sort of how to do that 
I think a lot of it happens organically, but some of it, and again, especially when talking to young people, like putting yourself out there, like don't be shy um, when it comes to, like if you're in an airport, like don't, don't be like, oh, I'm gonna just put my headphones in and never talk to anyone. Or if you go to a conference, you know, put yourself out there a little bit. Um, that's how you meet people and that's how you develop relationships. Very good advice for all industries, honestly. There's, I, th- I do agree with you. There's this sort of, um, understanding that network has to be this very strategic thing, but you're right. It is just building relationships with people. So, so beyond, um, networking, which obviously is really important. And I love the advice that you shared. Um, plenty of Bruins are, are sports enthusiasts. Um, many maintain fandom as a hobby. Um, but how, how would you sort of give advice, um, for Bruins who maybe early in their career and, and looking to get into sports administration, or maybe, you know, their mid-career and, and they want to make a pivot, whether that's into sports administration, marketing, logistics, legal counsel, beyond some of the, the strategic things that people can do, what else would be especially helpful in the sports world? So I always encourage people to, again, getting back to competition, being the best at what you do, because it is a, like any aspect of the entertainment industry, it's a very competitive industry to break into. And so what you're going to bring to the table is not your fandom, right? Like everybody comes in and says, oh, you know, I love sports. Um, that's not going to make you unique among job applicants. But right, if you right. can say like, oh, I actually am able to code and create an algorithm that will get your fans to use your app 25% more because they will, you know, enjoy it so much more because it'll be more customized to them. Well, that's intriguing. Like now I, I care about that a lot more than I care about whether or not you love sports. Um, right. So I think really just focusing on being outstanding at your craft and then to the conversation we were just having about networking, it is a relationships um, industry. And so finding people um and whether that's you know i was using examples that felt very felt very pre-covid um with airports and conferences i was like wait i haven't been to an airport (laughs) or a conference in like two years um but you can also use use the internets um (laughs) as they say uh you know whether you're using linkedin or other platforms um there's so much opportunity now to connect with people who may be very far away from you physically geographically yeah great advice once again well, we've gotten so far all these different questions that you've spoken to, but we would love to hear what does your day-to-day look like as chief administrator officer and, and general counsel for the 49ers? I'm sure days differ quite a bit, even maybe at different points throughout the season. I'm sure folks are very curious about this. So as much insight as, as you can share, we'd love to hear it. Oh, you know, it's funny. I used to love answering this question. And I had this like cute little answer about how I got up at six and went to the gym at work and then ate breakfast in our cafe at work and then came home and showered and went back and then had all these meetings with people. And now it kind of makes me want to cry when I answer the question because I'm like, oh, I work from home and I do lots of Zooms and lots of email. Um, and I wake up and uh, nurse my baby at six and then I put her down and do email for two hours while she sleeps. And then I nurse her again at 8.30 <laughs> and then the Zoom start. So um, I would say, you know, different. like most Americans, a typical day is, is very different now than it used to be um, and involves, you know, quite a bit of interacting with people in a virtual format. Um but the things that are the same always are you're always dealing with new issues things pop up fires to put out that you didn't expect 
Um, and depending again, where you are in your career, certainly where I am in mine, so much of it is around like, how is my team doing? What are the projects we need to accomplish? Like it becomes less about being an individual contributor um, and more about managing it or leading people. Um, and I think that's a big shift for a lot of people in their careers. And I know it was in mine because um, I really enjoyed being an individual contributor. Um, and I think that, that leading people has all sorts of, you know, more complex challenges, um, but challenge is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like very necessary in a competitive environment that you're in. So what's, what's something that you really love about your job, maybe that you weren't expecting or, or if you're willing to share something that's a little bit less glamorous as well, because again, the sports world is very competitive. And I, I think folks sometimes might romanticize it a bit. Oh, people definitely romanticize it. Um, because people are like, oh, so you just, you know, go to games and, you know, hang out with Trey Lance is like, uh, <laughs> nope, that's not exactly what the job is. Um, there's lots of reviewing contracts. Um, you know, you're, re- you're reviewing contracts for janitorial work, like, or, you know, like for software that you use, like there's so many things that are very mundane. Um, but one of the things that does motivate people to work in sports is it can feel a little more fun to work on that janitorial contract when you kind of get to see the results of your work. Like literally I'll walk through the stadium and be like, is it clean? Like, uh, (laughs) (laughs) or, you know, whatever that software contract was, um, I'll be checking out like, Oh, does the HR department enjoy using that software? So you, you get to see your labor, um, in a different way, like for, uh, you know, our associate counsel who works on sponsorships, when she first started um, a few months ago, she was really excited. And I remember feeling the exact same way over a decade ago. When you see the sponsor sign that you worked on that contract, you're like, oh, cool. I can see what I worked on. Um, so there's fun aspects. There's less glamorous aspects um, in terms of something that I maybe wouldn't have expected. Um, I think just... I probably would have expected this, but the, the high of winning really, it is a high, it it is something that can be so fun. And it is, you know, obviously counterbalanced by the lows of losing. Um, and so if you choose to work in certain parts of sports where you're at a team, that's kind of the, the life you're choosing is those highs and lows. Um, whereas you could choose a different area. You could work at Gatorade or Nike or a league office, um, or maybe it's a gaming company and you won't have the highest of the highs, but you also won't have the lowest of the lows. Um, and so that's for people to kind of choose what appeals to them. Well, that segues perfectly to my next question, which is given everything that you've experienced so far and goals that you might have for yourself in the future, how have you been defining success in your own life? What does success look like for you and, and how might it look in the future? That's an excellent question Um, because I think everyone can define success differently and should based on their own needs. Cause what success looks like for me is not going to be the same as what it looks like for you. Right. For me, success right now, cause again, it it can shift over time. Um, I'll be honest. I have a three month old baby. So like, I'm like, success is like, did I shower and exercise and sleep last night? Like, that's and and like not totally fail at anything else um like that's a great day like that felt successful uh you know I think I would have had a different definition of success um 
And so, and I'm sure it will shift again um, over the coming months and years. I, I once met um, a woman who'd interviewed people about success. And I will say that the one answer that she had received that I found the most interesting was that she had a woman tell her that success is getting done everything you need to get done in 40 hours a week. And I thought, well, that's fascinating because so much of our culture is driven around, you know, FaceTime and having to kind of like look like you're a workaholic, whether you are or not. And so to define success by really, are you getting done what you need to get done and actually not killing yourself to do it, I thought was a really great definition. Yeah, I think that also is is sort of trending with a lot of the work-life balance and shifts that are happening as different generations enter the workforce. So I think mm-hmm. that's great advice for the future as well, because, um, you know, the differences between Gen Z or millennials, I do feel like as someone who's been in the workforce over 10 years, coming up on 15 myself, there, there has been a shift and, and people don't necessarily want to work 40 eight, 50, 60 hours a week. And I think there is absolutely a need for balance, especially as we've all seen in in COVID to be able to separate life from work and and work from free time and those spaces, whether or not we'll we'll all eventually get back into offices. So I think that makes a lot of sense and, and was good advice when you heard it. And I appreciate you sharing it with our listeners. So I do have some rapid fire fun questions to, to wrap things up. Uh, we'd love to know where your favorite place on campus is. Oh, shoot. Dee Dee Reese is not on campus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say like Royce Hall, the quad, like that just every time I look at it, it just makes me happy. Yeah, it is a, a beautiful campus, a great place to, to work and be a student. What about a great book or article media you've appreciated and enjoyed recently? I really like um, Ben Horowitz wrote a book called You Are What You Do um, or what, I always mess up the title book or what you are is what you do. Who you are is what you do. It's about building business culture. And the whole point is it's not who you it's not what you say the culture is. Culture is what you actually do. Um, and and so often there is a uh, break between those two things. Um, well, really in every culture, if, if there are any fellow sociology majors out there, um, but, but particularly in business culture. Great, love that answer as well. And then before we depart, do you have a favorite UCLA memory that you'd like to share? Oh gosh, I have so many fond memories from UCLA. Um, well, if you need to pick two, that's all right. Okay, well, I, w- I was gonna say, I think, you know, Covering the team, covering the football team for the Daily Burn was, was such a, a joyful experience and really did shape everything about kind of where I've gone since then. And so I will say this is like a, a funny, odd memory, but uh, when kind of earning people's trust and respect in that job was really important to me. And I remember Phil Snow was the defensive coordinator at that time. And it had taken, you know, him maybe a little time to, to get used to me. Um, but I remember it was on a, at a row game at, at the University of Washington. He had gotten so comfortable with my interviews that I was interviewing him in the, in the locker room and he walks into the showers to tie, he's fully dressed, but he's walking in the showers to use the mirror to tie his tie. 
And I was like, I'm still interviewing you. And he's like, oh, just walk in here. And I was like, Coach Snow, I really appreciate that you finally, everyone's gotten comfortable that I'm in the locker room, but I don't think I'm supposed to be in the showers themselves. <laughs> so I'm going to stay out here and just yell my questions at you. Uh, so that, that's like a, a funny, fond UCLA memory. Absolutely. And, and speaks to the relationships that you've built. Well, thank you so much. It has been an absolute pleasure to get to know you, to hear more about your background. Thanks so much for your time. For those that are interested, uh, her book, Season of Change, that's S-Z-N, uh, really could help you exercise the skills of vision setting, game planning, and your own career journey. So check that out if you're interested. And again, Hannah, thank you so much for your time. Wishing the 49ers a stellar season next year as well. Thank you. Go Bruins. Go Bruins. Thank you for joining us for our interview with Hannah Gordon. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. Her book is a guided journal that provides tools to ignite confidence, boldness, and freedom to thrive in your next season of life. It's called Season of Change, S-Z-N of Change, the competitor's playbook for joy on the path to victory, and it coaches readers through eight weeks of vision setting, game planning, and endurance to win authentically in life. As a regular part of the podcast, we share a career tip at the end of each episode. This tip is from alum Freddie Sanchez. He says, find mentors who you connect with and ask about what they do. Getting advice from people further in their career paths can give you insights you didn't consider before. Thanks, Freddie. This is excellent advice, simple and straightforward, something we can all take advantage of. If you're looking for a mentor, Take Freddie's advice and reach out to Bruins that have raised their hand on UCLA One. Go to UCLA1.com, that's UCLAONE.com, to create your profile and search the directory for Bruins in your desired field. Then reach out and start a conversation and build a professional relationship. If you have a career tip of your own and would like to be featured on the podcast, you can email a voice memo or written tip to ace at support.ucla.edu. We look forward to highlighting your strategies for success and share them with the Bruin community. Join us for more episodes in the coming weeks and follow us on UCLA Alumni Career Engagement and UCLA Alumni Association's Facebook and Instagram accounts. As usual, they'll be in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Go Bruins!